The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined today by my guy, my buddy, Rich Rebar. Uh, we are, I mean, we're heading into draft season, right? No one, no one has anything to do. So, so the, the draft, even without the draft app, it's still, uh, the, the games are, the games are filling, you know, the football guys players championship. I popped into one of those with Michael Leone, the dynasty lobbies in the FFPC, like those, those are, are filling up. Uh, best ball tens like we're there there is action to be had so the people are thirsty for the fantasy football content so this is even even though it is may 19th we are going to have a serious and earnest conversation about fantasy football values how you doing buddy <laughs> good man you know it's great to catch up after the season you know, we went on that on that heater you know bet, placing those bets every week and you know the chiefs closed it out for us uh you know a little humble brag back we'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that you love but, you uh, love to see it though <laughs> but yeah you know it's interesting you know i was real worried you know in this space kind of wondering how it was going to go you know with the way the economy was going it was going to be our if football comes back and fantasy football comes back our people going to want to invest are they going to be thirsty or is it going to be a thing where it's everyone's just rabid for content and it feels like the latter is is starting to, to happen you know we've seen like the UFC fight a couple weeks ago was like the most heavily betted on you know event you know people were just ready to bet on stuff you know and uh, Na- NASCAR had a race this weekend seems like people are still ready to you know have that degenerate scratch itch um, you know itch scratched for them so I, I feel a little better now in some space because you know I was getting really nervous you know being this being you know how I get 100% of my income come uh, you know how it was going to be handled you know over the course of summer but it seems like fantasy football is going to thrive still well once we're uh, fully locked in at the season coming back I think by the way this is uh this is not really neither here nor there but I think there is like enough momentum of states being like look we'll come come and play your games here right we'll do anything like Florida's like come on let's play and then California says they're going to encourage pro sports teams even if the stay at home or so like I I am not really sweating uh an NFL season not happening I like I am now like pretty confident that uh that the NFL season is in fact going to go ahead which uh, should uh, should lead us to to think about uh, fantasy football player values, and I think the biggest question of the season uh, is what to do at quarterback. As we have seen these guys, I mean, we just saw Lamar Jackson put together a record breaking season, basically, uh, you know, thousand yard rushing season and, and all that stuff. And now we have Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott with these huge, huge ceilings, you know, and then and then that's not even to mention. Patrick Mahomes, our buddy, J.J. Zacharyson, um, at the late-run quarterback on Twitter. If you guys are listening to this, you probably already follow him. But 
he put together this article on numberfire.com um, on has Lamar Jackson broken fantasy football scoring? Has he broken the late round quarterback? And I think the answer to his question was last year. Yes. You really, you really were not winning your league last year without Lamar. I think the, the point really what I took away from the article, Rich though, was obviously don't draft Lamar Jackson in the second round this year, but if you're in industry leagues, if you're in leagues that play a little savvier and Lamar's sitting there in the fourth round. Like this isn't like an Aaron Rodgers in 2012 situation. Like you actually can profitably draft Lamar Jackson in the fourth round this year. Yeah, I think what it is with the with the edge that the running quarterbacks now, the mobile quarterbacks that are providing in fantasy. Because it used to be if you were a mobile quarterback, you couldn't pass and or accrue passing stats. And now that that world has started the bridge. You see guys like Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott and Amy Lamar last year. That's what broke it for him. I mean, a lot of people thought he could rush for 1,000 yards. A lot of people didn't think he was going to throw 36 passes. 36 touchdowns, yeah. <laughs> and so when you get that double whammy and you get these guys that have both the rushing acumen and the passing acumen put together, it's kind of still a major edge because we are in the industry here. Like I said, there's still a potential immediate edge with mobile quarterbacks paired with everyone cognizant of waiting on quarterbacks already. But the scarcity of mobile quarterbacks that can also pass within the position should elevate that subclass higher than normal fantasy rankings will have them, you know, in four for investment. So it just makes sense to, to, to one target those players uh, while the quarterback tiers are all sliding down. Now, that's probably not going to happen in a lot of, you know, mainstream general population leagues. Lamar's probably going to go in the second round, so you won't be able yeah. to really lose value on him. But, you know, that may, you may be able to get a Kyler Murray or a Dak Prescott, you know, in that, you know, sixth, seventh round range. I still believe that that tier of guys, based on what they provide, is being undervalued uh, because of the late round quarterback dichotomy. I think that those guys actually do provide a bigger edge than just the brass tax quarterback position has led on or, or value over replacement uh, value over replacements at those positions because those that used to be just filled with passers. Like you said, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford coming off of, you know, a, a 40 touchdown season. Uh, the, these guys that run and Mahomes should absolutely be included. I mean, if you look at Mahomes last year, when he came back from that knee and that knee, uh, injury he came back that the, the, that back stretch of the season and we saw what he finally looked like at Texas Tech when he would run remember the year before yeah. when he set out his pass record he didn't run but even all the way through the Super Bowl he was a guy the final 10 games of the season he averaged 5.7 fantasy rushing points per game we had not yep. yet to see him tap into that he was running for 50 yards a week you know throughout the postseason and to close the season he should be included into that as well he had because, he had he destroyed San Francisco like the the running stuff I think was yeah, the the running touchdown in the playoffs. Uh, I gotta go find a YouTube oh, highlight yeah, of it right now. Titans. Yeah, against, against the Titans. Titans. <laughs> like that was that was like when I when I'm thinking of like Mahomes signature moments like ten years from now. I mean, obviously the third and fifteen throw to Tyreek is going to be one of them. But that rushing touchdown where he's like breaking tackles, you're like, well, if Patrick Mahomes can do that, like if Mahomes is allowed to break the pocket and like shake defenders in the open field, like how is this sport even fair? Like, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. Two things, though, I believe are in play this year uh, for the quarterbacks. And and one is that a lot of those, those, those people, those quarterbacks we talked about that are in that, you know, scarcity of having that elevation to be able to pass and run 
are, are technically elevated a, a tier than they typically are. They're not really the guys you would qualify as late round quarterbacks. I think the only guys that you would qualify that have some of that in their pockets are probably, you know, Daniel Jones. And I think Joe Burrow absolutely. It's, it's your qualifies. kid's favorite quarterback, Daniel. I know, I know I've seen you tweet. I've seen you tweet a couple times that you're worried about uh, the beginning of the season for only Daniel Jones, though, but only yeah. like a one, if you're in a one QB league, like he's hard to draft because what word Daniel Jones is really bad is when like out of structure. So like when plays break down, like he's awful against pressure and like he faces the first four months teams that are, all teams were top eight in pressure rate last year. So it's like, I'm willing to, if I'm in a one QB league, like I'm probably just going to pick him up in week five, like after some dude cuts him because he's probably not going to be good against Pittsburgh and San Francisco <laughs> to start right. the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting, but late round quarterback has um, what it has kind of working against it this year though, is that, People just think that because we had two record-breaking performances essentially from the same ADP slot, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, like that's a norm. Like we got record-breaking seats. Not, not that those guys hit as late-round quarterbacks. Like they set all-time records. Patrick Mahomes yeah. had the most fantasy points ever scored in a season, and Lamar Jackson was just one point away from just because he sat out week 17 last year, but he set the record for fantasy points per game. Now those guys are elevated. The other guys are elevated. Uh, so, I mean, just thinking that you're going you're gonna to strike gold from that pocket is probably – it's not going to be – that's something that's irregular. Um, but, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 look, think, <laughs> I think that's a huge point is that people are just expecting every year – we're going to get a record-breaking performance in round eight, right? Round nine, round 10. Like, you're like, oh, okay, I'll just draft uh, the number one overall quarterback in fantasy in, uh, in round eight. I, I have the market beat. And, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that stuff is – I mean, obviously, like, I, I think the candidates are thinner this year. Really, if someone was going to have just an insane season who's being drafted later, it would be Daniel Jones adding a bunch of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns and – I don't believe this at all, but other people believe that Brady could throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. I, I am not a member of, of that group of people, but there are people out here who do believe that, uh, that Brady has the ability. Yeah. And angry Tom, (laughs) right. So angry Tom throwing to Godwin and Evans and Howard and Bray. Like there, there are a group of people that, that very firmly believe that, uh, that this is real. I, I am not one of those people, but whatever I, I could see that happening if he's healthy and Arians is just like whatever thank you so much for coming to bail me out of playing a season with Jameis so uh, we'll go ahead and do that but but what JJ's article really pointed out to me I thought was I actually think you can also profitably draft Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott at a degree that I would have never felt comfortable drafting a quarterback like five years ago right or, or three three years ago even where we're, we're drafting these guys in the fifth sixth seventh round because I think Kyler Murray scoring I don't know 350 fantasy points is very possible right and and I think I think the same for Dak too I mean Dak like if Dak ran for eight touchdowns this year like how surprised are we really like I I don't really think that's surprised yeah, no, and then Dak unlocked his passing ceiling last year. That was kind of always the bugaboo, you know, with Dak is that he was going to be a low-volume passer and throw for 3,500 yards. And now, he, almost, he you know, he led the league in fantasy uh, passing points. If you just remove rush points, he led the league in passing points last year. And they arguably got better. I mean, it, you can argue that both Jarwin replacing Witten and C.D. Lamb, even though he is a rookie replacing Randall Cobb, who actually was good in the role that he played last year, um, are upgrades, you know, from a talent perspective to help him out. 
Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I, I love Dak. I, I think Kyler especially, and, you know, Kyler was a guy that we never got a free period on. It feels like in years past we would have had a period. You, yeah, as a rookie, you'd have been able to take him in the 14th round or whatever. Or even in this period of last year where he was still good, but, like, you might have been able to get him, like, in the QB, like, 7 to 10 range. And this year, like, literally everyone's had him, like, almost in their top five, like, from wire. Like, since, and, and that was before he even got Hopkins. Uh, yeah. And you look at Arizona too, like they were 30th in the NFL and passing touchdown split rate, like um, only 52% of their touchdowns came from passing last year. And it should have been closer to, you know, 67%. So it's like, he's got positive regression working for him too. He gets an alpha wide receiver. I also think people are just overthinking the DeAndre Hopkins saying, no, he is changing teams. But like, it's literally a wide receiver that was good with Tom Savage going to the most wide receiver centric offense in the NFL it's DeAndre Hopkins and it's an alpha wide receiver in an air raid system on the NFL level. Like we haven't even really had that, you know, dating back since, since you got to go back to like Haywood Jeffries or some shit, like, <laughs> like to, to go back, like when we had like a, a guy in this spot, you know, or like Andre Risen. Uh, so, I mean, I just feel like, you know, Hopkins is even with a target reduction, like it's still like, we haven't seen Cliff like really open up the air raid and actually went away from the air raid last year due to personnel reasons. But I think we'll see more of that this year um, and more of adjustment from him. So, I mean, yeah, Kyler is another guy like I'm, I'm willing if those are the guys that slide in that area. And then I think if you do miss out on those guys, they just go a smidge higher than you want to. Uh, you know, Josh Allen doesn't have the passing acumen, but he's got that rushing floor and opens with a good schedule too. Like he gets Stephon Diggs. So they've kind of built their roster on knowing that Josh Allen isn't good at throwing the ball and making throws that he can't see. So they surrounded him with guys that just can get open, you know, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Stephon Diggs. Like they said, all right, we're not going to give you clashers or guys you have their 50-50 balls to. We're going to give you guys that are just good at separating. So that are just going to be literally circles. wide open. Yeah, and I feel like that was, that's, they know his shortcomings, and you should know if he's your quarterback what his shortcomings are and build around that. Um, you see Lamar Jackson, you build around your player's strengths. Who knows? Like, you know, hey, instead of trying to make a player something he's not. Uh, but, yeah, I'm all in on trying to target that tier, and I think a big part of the reason, too, is because, one, the running back two through three landscape is a nightmare again, and then the wide receiver landscape is flattened. Uh, and we'll talk about that probably in a little bit, but the wide receiver landscape not holding you just it's just a flatter it's just a, the curve has really been flattened at the wide receiver position so those guys I believe do have more value than late round quarterback drafters are going to um you know are treating them as right now so I, I definitely want to target that tier so I want a guy that has the duality I want a guy that can throw and run because those are guys are providing a fantasy edge uh and I think it's crazy not to target guys that can do both things in fantasy yeah and and I think even to take it a step further, I mean, uh, you're obviously always going to be able to stream quarterbacks and you're not going to, you're not going to like, if you don't get a guy who's any good in your draft, uh, you know, we're not, we're not talking best ball here, but if, if you are streaming quarterbacks, you'll be able to roughly hang at the position. But I think the guys that we are going to be streaming are going to be giving up loads of ceiling to guys like Kyler, to guys like Dak, to guys like Lamar, guys like Mahomes. And that list is larger than it used to be. That list of quarterbacks who would have like crazy ceilings way higher than QB 12 used to be like two guys, right? Used to be like, used to be like Rogers and Breeze. And those would be the only guys who would year over year be like hundred points higher than quarterback 12. Now we might have, I mean, we don't have six quarterbacks score more than QB 12. And like that, that does again, you know, that changes the strategy of the position for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of where I fall. It's like I, just that subset of player I still still believe is undervalued because everyone's drilled into their brain, late round quarterback, wait on quarterback. Uh, and that's why I think in industry leagues, it definitely will be a, a kind of an exploitable market this year. And even if you got the guy that gets Lamar in the fourth round, which he probably will go in industry leagues, but you talk about it, that, that just means you're going to get a guy like Kyler like in the, the eighth round in those leagues instead of, you know, the sixth round of your home league or, you know, in that area. But yeah, I'm hundred percent on board with that subset still being advantageous and still having some value, even though it has technically jumped a tier. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I'm just not going to be the guy that takes Matt Ryan in my league. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I certainly, I certainly, uh, I can't, I can't blame you there. Okay. Your hottest take about a player in the top 100 of ADP is who right now? I don't know. I'm terrible at hot takes. Uh, it's, I know. You know that's, why I, that's why I wanted you to do it. Oh, I wanted man, to see I if I could coax you into it. Yeah, I'm terrible at hot takes. I'm pretty pragmatic. Uh, I do have Devontae Adams as wide receiver one. Is that hot? That's probably not hot enough. Uh, oh, no. That's pretty hot. Like, I, I, don't, I feel like if you, if you tweeted that out, like you just tweeted. I did tweet it out. <laughs> well, did you tweet, did you tweet um, Devontae Adams greater than Mike Thomas in fantasy? No, don't, at, don't at like, me. Like, yeah, so like, like that. my branding's not as strong as that. Yeah, so if you did that, you'd you'd get you'd get a lot of uh, you are an idiot stuff. So so that would be hot enough, I think. Yeah, uh, that's pretty yeah, I hot. Mean, I mean, I I just think when you look at it, he's in a Michael Thomas like situation. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone wants to say guys like Alan Laz- Lazard won during the draft, and I guess technically he did because we thought he wouldn't have a job. So keeping his job is a win. But, I mean, you just look at that. everyone around Devontae Adams. It's similar to that Saints situation a year ago. Like, all, the depth is just terrible, and everyone that had an opportunity was bad in their opportunity last year, including Lazard and, and Marcus Paulus-Cantling. Lazard has some efficiency metrics that showed to be pretty well, but he was an awful fantasy play uh, because they were just jamming targets, and targets are a bigger, you know, source of, of perceived talent. And they were just jamming targets to Devontae Adams. Over the final 10 games of last year, he had 113 targets for 917 yards and seven touchdowns he had fewer than 18.8 ppr points in just two of those 10 games and if you want to put it compare it to michael thomas over that span he had 33 percent of the green bay targets 34 percent of their catches 41 percent of their receiving yards and 50 percent of their receiving touchdowns the one area where Devontae adams is legitimately better than michael thomas is scoring touchdowns um but so michael thomas last year was at 33 percent of the saints targets he had 36 percent of their receptions 39 percent of their team yards and 25 percent of their Uh, team touchdowns and then you add a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who's not a threat to knock Michael Thomas off of being a good fantasy and elite fantasy wide receiver but it does bridge the gap of why Michael Thomas will could go back from 180 targets to 150 targets you know uh, to push him back in that area where I think that Devontae Adams is probably a pretty strong bet to lead the league in targets uh, based on what's around them and then when you look at Green Bay even though the signal has been that they want to run the football they were a team that went 13 and three last year. Uh, their expected win rate was 10 and six. They only have a nine, uh, eight and a half to nine win total at most books you look at right now. They're going to be a worse team this year in terms of game script. So they're, they might want to run more, but they're going to be in positions, uh, a scoreboard chasing to where they're going to have to, you know, swerve into throwing more. And I believe that, you know, swerves into, you know, aiding, you know, a guy like Devontae Adams getting more targets than probably people think because the offense he's in are being down on just all the signal the Packers have sent us for the past two months of taking football back in 1979 uh but yeah I mean that's kind of where I'm at I just think he's in a spot to where the talent level and the target volume level is just going to be too high 
uh, to, to just it's going to create such a strong floor. And we saw it already at the end of last year, but you know people were disappointed in totality because he missed those four games at Turf Toe, got off to a slow start before four games, just kind of buried a season, but was just absolutely operating on that Michael Thomas level. And because he scores more touchdowns, and Michael Thomas has probably a little bit more of a higher ceiling. You know, if he can get there, if he can get that kind of target value. I, I don't I don't disagree with the take at all. I think that the risk factors there would be there's probably like a little bit of uh, the 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 ceiling falls out of the Green Bay offense where like Rodgers is old and and is even less efficient. Um, Rodgers gets hurt or gets benched, but I guess that exists with what 39 year old Drew Brees as well. And uh, though though. They got stuff. Yeah, James that's the thing. In. Is is you actually probably get more of a fantasy ceiling if if Jameis comes in. I I mean I I would say there's just like a slight bit of more like systemic risk it, it with the Packers like and if this oh, whole yeah. like this whole we're gonna ground and pound and give Aaron Jones twenty touches and Jamal Williams ten touches and AJ Dillon ten like if they're if they are serious about trying to become your 49ers um that's not great for Devontae Adams and I mean maybe Devin Funchess is just a little better than we think right like that that could siphon some volume but I I agree like I I have them one and two um I don't I don't think you lose out on a ton of equity by getting Devontae Adams I think I think maybe you could even argue that if so, like in Dynasty, like if someone's trying to sell Adams based on like Rogers' age and stuff, like he actually might be, he might be a decent acquirer right now. Um, that was yeah. as hot as I could get uh, for May, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think that's, um, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, my, I think my hot take is that um, people have lost their GD minds with Austin Eckler. Like, what are we doing? What, what do we do? We got we have Austin Eckler who's going to be playing with a mobile quarterback for likely the beginning of the season and then a rookie quarterback in the latter half of the season. Uh, we don't think he is going to become Melvin Gordon, right? We don't think that Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are going to be non-involved. And even if, even if he sustains the crazy touchdown efficiency, extremely unlikely, uh, the yards per target, again, extremely unlikely, I would still – I would still – rather take those risks with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. If if I'm if I'm gonna take a part-time receiving back, I'd rather have the part-time receiving back in the the best offense in football. So so right now over the last seven days in the Football Guys Players Championship using the ADP from fantasymojo.com, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going RB 14, 22nd overall. Eckler's going RB 12, 19th overall. Like yeah, just uh just just give me just give me um yeah, give me uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. It's pretty good timing because I actually put an article out on Austin Eckler today. Uh, you know, kind of like breaking down, you know, the pros and cons of a situation. And I mean, the way that this guy operated last year. Well, one, I, I always have like a, a, a rule to never pay for like a like an outlier receiving season for a running back. It just happened that this one coincides like a volume increase, which rarely ever happens. Uh, you know, with Melvin Gordon leaving. But I mean, even for a guy, because even prior to last year, he was a hyper efficient player, Austin Eckler. But look at last year, average nine point two yards per target after averaging seven point seven yards per target through his first two seasons. He caught eighty five percent of his targets after catching seventy five percent through his first two seasons. Uh, he scored eight receiving touchdowns. That was the most receiving touchdowns by a running back since Marshall Falk in 2001. 
Um, and then Hayden Winks wrote an article at Roto World. He, um, Austin Eckler, also had the largest yards created after catch over expectancy uh, in the NFL last season. So like he was out of his out of his mind, like in terms of efficiency. Like even being a hyper efficient player, like you gotta anticipate recoil on all those. Then you factor in you know Philip Rivers and you know uh, you know Tyrod Taylor and the inevitability that Justin Herbert is going to play. Uh, and then just the fact too, like when Eckler when Melvin Gordon missed all those games, Eckler was the backup. And then that means the subsequent backs were Justin Jackson and Trimaine Pope. Uh, you know, th those are also smaller guys that didn't, you know, that you're not going to, that are also undersized backs. Now you had a bigger body like Joshua Kelly he coming in, even if he doesn't get a, a large volume of touches in between the twenties can siphon money touches, uh, you know, touchdown goal line touches, you know, being a bigger body back where Eckler is a guy that's only converted four of 13 carries inside the five yard line for touchdowns already. Um, yeah, he's a guy that is very polarizing. Um, there are definitely pros to, I think, some of the, maybe the volume increase, but where does it beat his efficiency decrease or regression to the mean? Um, and then how do we factor in exactly what the Chargers are going to operate in offense? Because they're probably a team that's going to play slower. I and mean, you look at it, Anthony Lynn's teams before taking on Phillip Rivers, they were slow and they didn't throw a lot of passes. Two of those seasons came with Tyrod Taylor as a starting quarterback. Uh, so their team with their defense, which is very good, the Chargers defense, they could slow down games and slow down tempo and not run a lot of plays and be a little more uh, balanced towards the running game, which also would hurt, you know, what unlocks Eckler's, you know, upside for fantasy because this is a guy that had the, the most half-point PPR receiving points in NFL history among running backs. He was second in PPR receiving points uh, a year ago. So, I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons uh, to this layout. But, yeah, listen, man, go read that article I wrote because I wrote an article on today. There we, there we go. Everyone, everyone go read Rich's work on sharpfootball.com. Get, uh, get better, get smarter. See, you, you do, you agree. You agree with the hot take. You see, you see the market, you say the market. I mean, the market that's is all, high, I think that's all, that's all a hot take really is. The hot take is when you disagree with the market to like a reasonable degree. It's just, it's just a matter of how you state it. And you're just, uh, you're not, that you're not gap, out here. Yeah, that gap of Eckler, Kenyon, Drake, and Miles Sanders uh, is going to be real interesting to see how like those three guys play out because they're all very similar in terms of like upside and downside and like risk factor. Uh, it's going to be very curious to see like which one of those guys is the ones and the one that ends up popping and was right on and then which guys end up disappointing if they're, you know, if, if all three don't. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also think along those same lines, if we're if we're talking about, I mean, so let's let's just transition. Let's actually just transition to this because the the larger narrative behind all these running backs, where you can nitpick their ADP, is there is a there is a running back catastrophe going on, right? Like like the 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 running back apocalypse is here. The guys you know for sure who are going to be workhorse running backs this year are Christian McCaffrey. Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, and very, very likely to be Derrick Henry. Um, Kamara, we know, will lose some touchdowns to Latavius Murray. Uh, they just they just do not use Alvin Kamara like a 300-touch-year player. Um, he makes up for that in efficiency a lot of the time, but no, he is not a, a stone-cold workhorse. Joe Mixon, we've seen him lose passing down work both years of his NFL career. He was mostly terrible last year and just happened to stay healthy. Miles Sanders, you know, we, we can't get away from rumors that they're going to sign Carlos Hyde or a similar running back. Kenyon Drake, again, this is actually like Damian Williams just uh, kicked a can a year down the road. Like, uh, running back has a good sample over limited size at the end of a season. 
Uh, he's in a really good offense. People expect him to be really good, but there's no guarantee he's locked into the work. Josh Jacobs is going to lose all this passing down work to Jalen Richard, Lynn Bowden, maybe even maybe even Devontae Booker. Uh, and then we get into like Nick Chubb, who just has no receiving upside at all, basically. So do you agree or like, well, first of all, what is your response to this just there's no there's no workload available for anyone. What is what is your response to that take? <laughs> uh, no, well that I'll, I'll work, that stuff always shakes out. It's always more fluid than we think it is going into the true. season. So true. I th- I think there's two factors in this, and I ta- I did a a podcast with Fancy Mansion about this too. But so there's really two main factors. Is that one is that top running backs in fantasy football are still they still provide the biggest positional edge in fantasy football. And then two is that I just believe we're in a dead space for the alpha wide receiver one in fantasy football, uh, which yep. kind of the two things are merged. So the one thing is high in fantasy backs always. It, it's even when zero ROB was popping and wide receivers scoring just tons of points, uh, there still was always a supply and demand like you talked about. There was only these many guys that we can project to get touches. It's a race to get those guys. Even wide receivers are going higher. Those guys were still going high. Uh, but you look at it, I mean, just now over the this era that's just transitioning, over the past four seasons, uh, the RB2 group has only produced 63% of the RB1 scoring group. Um, and the wide receiver two group over that same span has produced 77% of the wide receiver one scoring output. And then the wide receiver three group has produced 67% of the wide receiver one group, which is still higher than the RB2 group, the wide receiver one. It's just, a, you know, like I said, that, that curve is flattened at the wide receiver position. Um, the, the wide receiver ones aren't providing a, a, a higher edge over the field than they were. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, I don't think that there is a number of alpha wide receivers still in the NFL. We've had just the influx of good running backs as prospects, but the wide receivers have been more tweeners. You know, the, you think of, look at the receivers that have been taken highly, you know, the Amari Coopers of the world. They've always been guys, guys in that more of a mold. Um, recently, year in recent years, we're not getting the Julio Jones prospects that we did, like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, or as close as we can get last year. And those guys went in the second round. Um, but then also, as the NFL shifted to more of a you know a, a passing game, more wide receivers are playing on the field than ever before. If you look at the yeah, you know, te- the, teams are playing four wide receivers all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. So teams have played three or more wide receivers the past years in seventy percent of passing plays. Uh, which is way up from the, you know, you know, just a decade ago. And just this past season, teams used four or more wide receivers and 500 passing plays, which is up from 361 passing plays in 2018. So you're just got, you've got more wide receivers on the field uh, and, and just easier for, to distribute targets to, to spread out targets amongst the surface area of the wide receiver position. And then when you marry that with the wide receiver talent, I believe is, you know, has gotten a little stagnant compared to the running back position. Whereas, you know, we can't find homes for good running backs now and everyone's in a competition because the, the prospect level was so good over the past five to six years. Whereas yep. the wide receiver position, every every team this year needed a wide receiver coming into the draft. Like there was no depth chart you could find that was like, you were like, that oh yeah, receiver, you're good. That team is loaded like wide receiver three and four. Like people like if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, like when you go top to bottom, they like objectively have one of the deepest wide receiving cores and like half their players aren't even that good. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm a thing because because nobody nobody can go three and four deep at the wide receiver position, um, and that's why it was such an important class this year uh, for depth purposes because everyone is thirsty for wide receiver production because wide receivers are playing more snaps than ever, more wide receivers are getting on the field than ever, uh, and you know the targets are getting spread out. So I mean, it's really flattened. So that's kind of just where I'm at. That's why you know just the the position of wide receiver, like I said, flattening out, and, and that's not to say that someone can't come and 
have a monster season and provide an edge or a couple guys can't provide an edge. But for the large, the larger portion of drafts, I want to avoid still that, that tier of running backs that we kind of hit on that you get when you get into like that RB20. Like, I don't want the, I don't want Devin Singletary to be my RB2, man. I don't. I don't want Raheem Mostert to be my RB2. Like, but I'm cool if Robert Woods is my wide receiver too. Like, I is, can live is, with that. <laughs> is Raheem Mostert going to be like, like, is, is he going to be one of the most overdrafted running backs of all time? Like, is he going to be like the ninth string running back in San Francisco by week five? Where is he even really going? I don't really think he's being overdrafted uh, at this point. Oh, I think but, he's being over. He's going, he's going RB26. I guess, for a floor, I guess when you con- like context the floor, like he could be a zero. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like he could, he could literally be losing snaps to Jarek McKinnon week two. Well, I mean, he is Damian. He's the Damian Williams of last year. Yeah, he's year. he's <laughs> Damian Williams, just in with with more competition. Damian Damian had truly very little competition before they signed Lashawn McCoy. I mean, it's very he's very similar to what Damian Williams and the argument built around Damian Williams uh, a year ago. And he doesn't catch passes, which is uh, the other problem. Uh, you know, if you look at last year when he made that that surge, I mean, he had nine receptions over his like hot strike streak of like the final eight games. So. There's not a lot of safety net and floor there for him either. But but like I said, I don't want those guys to be my RB2s. I don't want David Johnson to be my RB2. But like I said, the, the Robert Woodses of the world, like those guys, are, I'm okay like getting those guys as my wide receiver too. So it just comes down to the balance here. I think a lot of people are going to draft that way too. So, I mean, it's gonna it could, you know, create an opportunity if you are going wide receiver heavy and it is a year where it pops. Because remember, we had an abnormally healthy year for top running backs too last year. A lot of those guys stayed healthy and on the field last year where we typically have more injuries at the top of the position. Um, I just think that right now with the way the NFL is is trending towards and the way the wide receiver position is trending towards, that it's just still going to be a larger gap for the, the best running backs. And they, those that running back could come in round five. It could be Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he's not going around five. But, uh, you know, it could be one of those guys that go – that you go wide receiver heaven and you hit on that running back. But I still believe that at the end of the day, like those running backs that, that pop and that are going to be the most advantageous, like, pieces to own – in terms of having on your roster and fantasy. And that just is what makes it, you know, kind of you know, swerve to that. But I mean, zero RB can still work. I mean, it can still work. Any, any, anything, any strategy can still work as long as it's executed it, in the correct match. It, uh, I, w- I will not be passing on guys like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara in the first round right. this year, whereas I would have last year. Like those guys were, I was taking, I was taking wide receivers uh, instead of them. And, like, I, I think there's even reasonable cases to be made to draft Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake. I, I think there are reasonable cases to be made to select those guys in the first round, and I would not have argued that last year at all. Because I, I think that the, the level of production, um, I think after Kenyon Drake, and I, I'll include Nick Chubb in that tier, because Chubb is – Chubb, I mean, he might catch 10 passes all year, but he's still going to get, like, 250 carries. Like, he is going to be a guy. But, I mean, we're, we're living in a, a version of the simulation where Todd Gurley on, like, zero healthy knees is going RB15, 25th overall. And, like, he, he, again, he might be just not able to play. Like, he might just be – they might just have to go with Edo Smith by week five or whatever, you know? And, and the scarcity the scarcity at the position, I mean, Leonard Fournette, right? They signed Chris Thompson. Um, they, they, they say, we want to trade him. We want to get Leonard Fournette off our team. Leonard Fournette is, is still going high in these drafts. So it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I can't even say for sure if that's wrong, because after Leonard Fournette, we're talking about dudes who just have no guarantee of volume, right? Like, so I can't even say it's wrong. Like, I can't even say Le'Veon Bell going 37th overall is wrong. 
yeah, I'm not going to live that life. But I mean, it's, it's, it's literally just buying opportunity because it's a, it's a position built on opportunity. So, I mean, I, I totally understand it. Like I said, and just wide receiver is, is, is flattened out and it's so much deeper. So, I mean, that, that those two things paired in unison. And like I said, I think that's what makes those quarterbacks that we talked about too being undervalued. Because you're on these – we're talking all these, those, these tier of players we're talking about and bringing up, that's where these quarterbacks are going to go that I believe just offer more weekly upside uh, at the position, you know. Uh, I mean, if you're in the gun barrel around five and you can take Dak Prescott or – Raheem Mostert, what are you gonna do, man? Like, I mean, <laughs> like I'm probably, I'm literally, I'm literally probably gonna take more quarterbacks early because the decisions there are so gross. You know, you know who I actually am gonna end up drafting. Who I, ab- I mean, I hate, right? I just, I just abjectly don't want David Montgomery on my fantasy teams, but I don't, I don't see a way out of him being one of the value guys at the position this year, like. Talk me out of talk me out of David Montgomery is like a clear value at the running back position. I mean, he's a guy I'll have ranked higher than probably ever. I'll be willing to draft him uh, just right. because the same like he'll show a little bit in projection and stuff. But I mean, like, I mean, I I like the quarterback position, like that duality we talked about the quarterback position. I like my running backs to be able to to do both things as well. And you know, just having a guy like Tariq Cohen to take a hundred tar- eighty to hundred targets away from him is is kind of like a death nail onto his floor you know if he doesn't score a touchdown it's it's not good uh that's the problem with a guy like david montgomery because he's just not going to have the passing work to kind of float him you know uh but i mean it's like you said i mean the opportunities there he did i mean he had 270 touches as a, as a rookie still had a thousand total yards uh you know and a little seven touchdowns so I maybe mean, you get similar season that i get it but it's like he's one of those guys that i think is going to look better his season stats are always going to look better than than his week to week than what yeah. he did for you during the season yeah gonna uh, be a lot of uh 14 <laughs> carries uh 53 yards three catches for 10 yards <laughs> and and you're just like great david thanks for coming out bud really appreciate right. it yeah and you're and he, and he'll always be in like that range of guys where like you always contemplate benching him for someone but then like if he, if he hits and you'll be upset and like he's one of those guys too like you'll always be like hesitant to bench or move on from <laughs> i hate those guys man nah. yeah <laughs> Not a not a not a ton of upside unless he randomly runs into like a fifteen touchdown season or something. I mean, if Cohen could. Were, if Cohen were to get hurt or something like that, would open a big window. That's the that's the that's kind of the thorn in his side is just having a running back that can take you know siphon eighty targets away, eighty plus targets away from the running back position because you know Nick Foles and Mitchell are willing to check it down. Yeah, well, who do we who do we think starts? Who do we think starts more games at uh, at quarterback for for the Bears? I brought this up last week, and you know, I, I firmly and want Mitch to start because I think he's a better fantasy option. Because he can run, us, yeah, yeah, he gives us another fantasy option. But I think it's actually pretty negligible for the pass catchers because everyone brought up like, well, what about the pass catchers? People forget like one, Allen Robinson had his season with last year with Mitchell Trubisky and the final stretch of 2018 with Mitchell Trubisky. Anthony Miller's surge last year came with Mitchell Trubisky. Tariq Cohen's 2018 spike and Rick came with Mitchell Trubisky. Like he's still capable of giving these guys upside too as well uh, so if they're if it's really not that big a difference because they also think Nick Foles is terrible and there's a reason he hasn't thrown more than 200 passes in the NFL uh since 2013 uh he's just, garbage why why do people is it just because he won that Super Bowl that he's just like the goat yeah I mean he had our he's our modern day Jeff Hosteller in a way uh pretty much I, I don't even know, know who, I don't even know who that is <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
I mean, I would say if like if if because my thing is that, all right. So if Nick Foles is a little better, and I if you twist my arm and say who's a better quarterback for Allen Robinson, I would if you twist my arm, I would probably say Nick Foles. Yeah. But like it, the, the gap is not wide enough for me to say like all right, like it's going to turn Allen Robinson from the wide receiver fourteen into the wide receiver five. Like it's not like, like it's just not going to happen. Like Nick Foles isn't right. really alter Allen Robinson's ADP or Anthony Miller's ADP or Treat Cohen's ADP. It's not happening. So why should I care? Give me another guy that is fantasy viable because Nick Foles is a fantasy cement mixer. Like he's not giving us anything. Where at least Mitch, we know we can stream him against bad teams. He's been hyper productive against bad teams in matchup base before. Um, so I mean, at least give me another fantasy player I can play because I know I can't play Nick Foles and I know I can't really stream Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean, you're. I mean, maybe, maybe, um, maybe against like the Lions or something. Like the Lions might give us one of those seasons where they're a really good streaming defense. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. This is actually of the things I see people talking about on Twitter the most. This is actually the thing that most leads me to want to comment, and then I, I actually don't want to do it because it's like a really nuanced conversation, and Ooh. Twitter's not a good place for nuance. But never. Every everyone has their opinions on like after like tight end 10 so like kind of after Gronk goes off the board like everyone has their favorite tight end you know it, it could like we could be talking about Mike Gesicki, Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, Noah Fant, Jared Cook, Hawkinson, Godert. like there are there are loads of there are loads of dudes there um and and I think my favorite is very different than everyone else's and I would imagine you have a different one too so who is your favorite of this grab bag of tight ends? Well, there's, there's two guys I try to monitor in every draft at the tight end position. And, you know, sometimes I'll get involved earlier in the tight end position if, you know, the, if there's a slide. But the first guy is Hayden Hurst, uh, you know, who still, like, is, is, is ranked really low. He, everyone says they love Hayden Hurst, but then I, he never and gets he's drafted like He's, like, tight end 17. He's, he never gets ranked highly. He never gets drafted highly. So he's the first guy I monitor. I mean, he literally is – he doesn't – first of all, this guy doesn't block. He's just a receiver. He's like Mike Kosicki. Like he just like operates in, in space. Uh, he's a receiver. He's a receiver first, and he's going from a team that ran the fewest pass plays in the NFL this year to a team that ran the most. Uh, since Dirk Cutter – in the four years that Dirk Cutter and Matt Ryan have been paired together, Matt Ryan has been no lower than fifth in pass attempts per game. Their defense probably isn't going to be good again. They're probably going to have to score points and chase the scoreboard again. The Falcons also didn't, like, draft anybody to really threaten the intermediate level uh, of targets. They've got Calvin Ridley and they've got Julio Jones, but the rest of their intermediate targets are Russell Gage, Laquan Treadwell – like those guys aren't good at football, man. Russell Gage was awful. He's another guy that people are, are pipping out. Like he was horrendous with his opportunity last year. Uh, if you're a dude that wants like eight catches for 50 yards in a game, maybe like, as a, like, like you want that on your roster, then, then all by all means go. But I just think Hayden Hurst is in a, in a, a really good opportunity. If the baseline, he can, if he only has to be Austin Hooper, I think it's a pretty low bar to hear because I'm clear because I don't think Austin Hooper is particularly that talented. A lot of his, fantasy production was opportunity based and you know he had a 17 percent team target share in the first half of games last year in games he's active if you want to throw away some of the garbage script if you can give me a 17 percent target share on a team that lost Muhammad Sanu doesn't really have other any inter intermediate targets like I'll take that and kind of run with it and see what I can do with it and then the other guy I kind of just monitor is uh Chris Herndon from the Jets just because they're another team you, you just try to find a guy like Darren Waller that like is in a situation where 
he can leapfrog like the entire depth chart, potentially lead the team in targets. That's like kind of a, a mold that Chris Herndon fits. Like he is attached to Adam Gase, which is kind of a red flag. Uh, and that's why his ADP is where it is and why he's priced in there. But, you know, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, Rashad Perryman, those are not, that's not like a guy, a rogues gallery that's very daunting for him to kind of hurdle if he is playing it, you know, and, and taking a step forward to what they thought he was going to do in year yeah, two. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> the, car- the carryover or like the, the post-sleeper hype because like everyone loved Herndon last year. Yeah. Like everyone and their mother was touting Herndon. But I would actually say his path to playing time in targets and like everything is probably a little bit better this year because we know for sure Anunwa isn't going to play. And he's like, he was like playing tight end for them. And, it, you know, it'll probably take Mims a little bit to get up to speed. And Robbie Anderson is just gone. Yeah, so I mean, those are kind of the two guys I watch. I mean, it's like you said, it's a grab bag of like, just pick out your flavor. Everyone kind of has their different argument, like you said. Uh, but those are the two guys I've been kind of leaning towards at this point in the offseason. We'll see if ADP changes on those guys. But one guy I've started to really come off of, though, is Noah Fant out of that group. Uh, just because it's so like they just uh, they just dusted him off with Hamler and and Alberto and Jerry Judy. Well, I mean, one he he already wasn't good with Locke last year. He had like that one big game against the Texans, but he struggled from a target share perspective with Locke last year. And he just add more targets. And I just question still. While I believe it's a positive they've added all these weapons for Locke, I still question one: Can Locke support these guys? Is I mean, Locke is. He was objectively a pretty bad quarterback prospect and didn't do really a lot in his small sample, albeit small sample, outside of QB wins to kind of change the perspective uh, last year. So I kind of worry about the overall target volume and quarterback quality um, because, you know, if if you're not going to get a lot of targets, we want quality targets. uh, And I just don't know if we're going to get there. So he's kind of a guy I've kind of move off of, not from a dynasty stance, but from a redraft stance, I think we still might be. I think a lot of people are expecting him to make that big jump this year, and I don't know if we're going to get it. So the guy that I am not coming off of as the market moves away from him is Jarwin. Because obviously what what people are thinking now is, okay, well, they draft Lamb. There's no targets left for Jarwin. But Gallup and Cooper got theirs last year with Jason Witten and Randall Cobb both combining for over 165 targets. And Dallas's um, tertiary receiving options, unless you unless you think Tony Pollard is going to earn a way bigger role this year, it's like outside of like you get you get past those four guys, right? And we're talking about Zeke, who's coming off of a career low uh, usage in the passing game, right? Like he was he really no longer was a, was a big part of the passing game last year. Um, it's like Devin Smith. Uh, is Tavon even still on the roster? I think I think Tavon is on no, the roster. I actually don't believe so. They still have Ventel Bryant, uh, Ventel Bryant, uh, Cedric Wilson, um, uh, and Aaron they have another. Parker. They got Aaron uh, Parker, the kid from Rhode Island. Kid uh, from Rhode <laughs> Island. Yeah. So they have they have these these hanger honors that they always seem to have. But the wide receiver depth chart behind Lamb super thin. The tight end depth chart behind Jarwin is like Dalton Schultz, who's just a blocking tight end. Jason Witten is gone. Um, the guy that everyone loves to play in preseason DFS, Rico Gathers, uh, the, the old Baylor baseball player or basketball player, he's not even on the team anymore. So I actually think there's not really much of anything that we can like, – like I think Jarwin still should comfortably project for – 60 to 90 targets is kind of his range of outcomes and 
a bunch of those might be touchdowns because like that's just kind of the way that the Dallas offense has always worked that that the the um they they love to do that tight end rub route where the guy's just heading towards the pylon and obviously Witten never converted those because he's 100 years old but like that's been a, a part of their offense so I, I don't think anything's changed with Jarwin, and I think that if the Cowboys are this Death Star offense that we think they can be, I think he could you know just run super hot with touchdowns. I like Jarwin because a lot of people are just taking Witten's targets and acting like those can be Jarwin's targets. But so Witten had eighty three targets, but Jarwin also had forty one targets. So between the two, they had one hundred and twenty five targets. There's probably not a guy behind Jarwin to really threaten that 40. So it could turn, it could be like 120 split, 100 targets to Jarwin and 20 to another player uh, that you named, like Dalton Schultz or something. There's probably not a secondary tight end to command the target share that Jarwin had last year. So you give him a larger piece from, from Witten, and then you decrease that tight end two target share. I think that's definitely in the books. And we just look at his efficiency too. Uh, the past few years, Jarwin's averaged 11.7 yards per catch and 8.7 yards per target, while all other Dallas tight ends over that span have averaged 8.9 yards per catch and 6.9 yard, or uh, 6.6 yards per target. So, I mean, I think that you're, he's got a larger ceiling for targets than I believe people say, like you hinted on, and I believe like you just look at Witten's target share and his, he, I think he's going to accrue a larger portion of that than just take Witten's and say it's going to be an 80 to 40 split. I mean, even um, if you gave him, even if you gave him Witten's targets, he does way more with them. He's way more efficient yes. with them. But, yeah. but I, I like, I sort of overall kind of buy the argument that targets are like an indicator of quality. Yeah. And like, I think Jarwin is a, a talented football player. Like I think he's now entering his fourth year as a cowboy. Like we know, we know tight ends take a while in general, but like, yeah, like Jar, like Jarwin, I think the I drafting of Lamb. Yeah, yeah. The drafting of Lamb was actually like very nice for his value, I feel like. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all good. It's good for everyone. It's good for that whole offense. Because one, they're gonna keep throwing the ball and they were the they led the NFL in, you know, yards per passing play last year, which is, you know, a, a nice, you know, sh- shift from what you had to grow up and watch with, you know, with the with these offenses, you know, the limiting Dak. They finally l- unleashed him. Uh, it's, it seems like they're going to swerve into that aspect of being a more pass-first offense that can still run the football. They were still second in the NFL in success rate running the football. They were – and Zeke had 300 carries. But, uh, you know, hey, th- this is a team that now is starting to be more pass-driven, which is, you know, definitely something we were looking for the Cowboys to finally open up and do. Man, it's going to be really brutal when they lead the NFL in yards for play again and don't make the playoffs. Oh, yeah, that's, they'll break your heart somehow. But That's got to be the first time that's ever happened in NFL history where the team that led the NFL in yards per play on offense didn't make the playoffs. I got to go. Uh, Sharp, Sharp would be able to look that yeah. up for me, for sure. Yeah, your your, your sure, boy, yeah. he would know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's a good question to ask. Uh, especially, yeah, definitely it's it's got – I mean, just a ma- – all right, whatever. I mean, it was fine. You know what? It was fine because at the end of the day – it was a fun season overall, and Jason Witten is, or uh, and Jason Garrett isn't the quarterback anymore, and Jason Witten is a member of the Oakland Raiders. So and they kept I, it kind of worked Moore, itself which is out. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting they kept Kellen Moore in place too, especially because this off season we don't know if like continuity issues, like teams changing systems and things are going to be part of problems. So having a guy like Kellen Moore still in place, and obviously Dak has continuity with with Gal, all the skill players there outside of Lamb. Uh, you know, there's definitely keeping some of that in place can help smooth that transition of, you know, having a new head coach in a, in a new system because they probably will roll over some of the things they did and had success last year. I mean, they'd be foolish not to. 
Yep. All right. The, the last thing I want to talk about is I, I want to get a little bit more in depth with you um, on the Tom Brady stuff. Cause this is actually like the biggest and most serious projection argument that I've argued with anyone yet this off season is I've been getting into it with Michael Leone and um, Anthony mm-hmm. Miko in our projections about um, the, the Buccaneers. So right now, Brady in my projections is my quarterback seven in my rankings. He's my quarterback 12. And I think my rankings are so much more likely to be right in this instance than I am with Brady. So like, I mean, how do you even project a 43 year old quarterback changing teams, new system, new offensive coordinator, new weapons? Like, I like, what are you doing with Brady right now from like a projection standpoint? Uh, I, let's see if I could uh, pull, I can pull mine up real fast and tell you, I probably should pull up while you're talking there, but uh uh, I've I've talked about Brady a few times, and it's just it's just such a complete uh, unknown unknown because he said he's 43 years old. Like we know, Father Time is undefeated. He is getting that that weapons upgrade. Um, I'm probably a little lower. I know I'm lower on you in ranks than him, um, just because he falls into that bucket. I don't really see a large enough gap between Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, and Ben Roethlisberger. Like those guys are all very similar to how they score points. No one's going to give you any. You could even say Drew Brees too at the top of that tier probably. None of those guys are going to give you any rushing acumen. Uh, it's all passing, and it's going to be all kind of you know just just efficiency. Who who has higher efficiency pretty much uh, over the course of the season? Who ends up being the best of those guys? Brady and my uh, actual rankings though are projections. I'm going to see what I got him at. Uh, this is great podcasting i'm sure too as it well. is i mean people people love the looking up of that so this is i guess this is where i'm at is i gave brady his last three year new england ypa and because i have adjustments with godwin and evans and howard and gronk like that all you know that are quarterback improvement adjustments like it just it just makes the guy look like freaking megatron when in this offense especially because of the average depth of targets tough with bruce arians yeah, so I, I have him actually as, as QB10 in overall uh, scoring ranks right now. And obviously, he's hurt big picture because he has he gets zero rushing basically factored in. Uh, but then you look at it uh, last year, too, is just, you know, Tampa Bay had a league-high 187 possessions last year. Obviously, if you're giving the ball to the team a bunch, you're going to increase your possessions. Um, and they ranked fourth in the NFL in plays per game because they, they had so many possessions. But they trailed for 49.3% of their snaps last season. That was 18th in the league. Uh, but they had a 69.9% pass rate trailing on the place, which is sixth in the league. Those are probably all going to flip. You know, neutral, neutral pass rates, uh, they, were, they were definitely a lot less pass heavy. They're going to probably have more positive game script than they had a year ago. Uh, you know, you pair Brady with a, a good defensive front that can rush the passer as well. Um, I, don't, I just don't think the overall volume is going to be similar. I don't think that we can count the, the, the similar um, volume that Jameis had and roll it over for Brady. So I have them actually running fewer plays and having more of a, a neutral split than they had last year. So it's not just an apples. Yeah, just like a, a ball control Tom Brady comfortability offense. What you, you hit upon, though, the weaponry is a big deal because we found out that, you know, depth of target is more wide receiver driven or, or pass catcher driven than it is quarterback driven. And the past two vertical threats, and granted, this is we have to go back two and three years to Brady had with the two of these guys, but Josh Gordon and Brandon Cooks were well above the league rate in um, 
you know, completion rate and success rate on targets 15 yards or further downfield playing with Tom Brady. When he's had good vertical targets, they've been fine. It's not that Brady says torpedoed those guys. So, I mean, you're getting Mike Evans. I think it's interesting, you know, because, you know, obviously Mike Evans clearly is a guy that's benefited playing with guys that play with reckless band like Brian Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston. But what does Brady now do for Mike Evans' floor, though? Because Evans has always been a guy that um, amongst I I think Evans is the one who has crushed the most. I I think my initial reaction was this sucks for Godwin. But actually, no, it's it's Evans who is going to get crushed. Yeah, see, I think it does. I think it, it hurts Evans a little bit, but I think it hurts him way more than the public is letting on because I think it helps yeah. his floor more. Because, you know, the thing about Evans is that he's always been kind of a boomer bust, had more volatility than his wide receiver one peers in ADP. Uh, he'd have more lower points in a season. He'd hit you with that, you know, goose egg game once in a while uh, because the targets he were getting were like that. But I think he's going to have more efficient targets now in the intermediate levels than he ever had with Jameis and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So even if he does get some of that top end shaved off, uh, you know, not getting those YOLO balls uh, that those quarterbacks are willing to throw. And we've seen what Ryan Fitzpatrick did for Devontae Parker last year in, in that area. But, you know, he Brady can also raise Evans's floor and smooth out some attrition because contrary to popular belief, Mike Evans is good at football. I think there's this this notion. Only only good. only Mansion only Mansion doesn't believe that. <laughs> I mean, he's good at football. This guy has six six thousand yard receiving seasons in six seasons. Only Randy Moss has done that. Uh, so I mean, he has receiving acumen. Though on the, he's not a guy that just runs straight downfield, and that's been his. That's only been the only way he scored. So I think Brady can also give him a better floor as well. Um, I think that, that everyone jumping off the Evans boat uh, is going to be missing out. I think he's going to if, – if you're going to give me a discount on Mike Evans, I'm going to be completely excited, especially if I could – if you're going to let him go in like the early third round and I've already opened up with two running backs. Uh, I'm going to be pretty excited to, to, to jump on that opportunity. Um, my guess is that that's very likely to happen, right? Like the, I feel, I feel pretty, I feel pretty confident that Evans is going to be the guy who slips. So, yeah, and I'm okay with that. I would be willing to, especially like I said, if I'm opening up with two, what I perceive to be alpha running backs, uh, and then you can let me have, you know, uh, a high upside wide receiver that has a high touchdown ceiling, some of those range of outcomes. Like I'm probably going to jump on that uh, in that in that strike strike zone. I mean, listen, I'm not taking Cooper Cup over Mike Evans in any level. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm not going to take probably uh, – I'm trying to think of who else is probably going in that range of of wide receivers. I'm not even taking Allen Robinson over Mike Evans. I'm not even, I'm not even doing that. Uh, I'm taking out Mike Evans for sure in that spot. I'm taking Mike Evans over Allen Robinson all day. Yeah. All day. I, mean, I, I feel like people – I don't know, but maybe I'm making it up that we're getting a surge so that in the detriment of Mike Evans is, is getting to that point. Uh, but I'm listen, if there's going to be a discount on Mike Evans, I want to be on it. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm in. All right, man. Sharpfootball.com. Tell the people. Tell the people how they can get ready to, uh, to dominate their leagues. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, yeah, sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, you can go there. Everything's been free, still free. Uh, the whole site's been unlocked all offseason. I've got dynasty ranks. I've got rookie ranks. I've got season ranks. I've got almost 100 articles I've already written this offseason that are all open and free to jump on. Uh, I started a podcast with my, my editor-in-chief there, Dan Pazuda. It's called the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. Check that out. We've done five episodes. Uh, give us a listen. Give us some some some, rank, some ratings. Uh, hit us with a subscription. Hit us with some downloads. Uh, definitely help us out on that front. And then other than that, man, just hit that free content. It's out there. Take advantage of it. Yeah, everyone, uh, follow Rich on Twitter. 
read his stuff at Sharp Football Analysis, listen to his podcast, uh, get better. Don't, don't let the smooth brains win, everyone. And uh, we will be back soon. More guests, more content. We're, we're going to win some money in 2020. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.